This is Talking Ears. My name is Frank Wardinger. This episode's guest is Eric Heveron-Smith. Eric is a virtuoso performer on bass and trombone, traveling with groups including Postmodern Jukebox and Moonshine Rhythm Club, and he's a multi-instrumentalist and composer with his new project, Einstein's Dreams. He's also a world-class producer and recording engineer working at some of the best studios in New York and recording prestigious events such as the Newport Jazz Festival. But perhaps he's most famous to me personally for his middle school and high school work as a founding member of my first bands and being one of my oldest, dearest, longest friends. In this episode, we discuss the body instrument connection, his thoughts regarding hearing wellness, and how we can use our art and music to change the world that we find ourselves in. This episode will include tracks featuring Eric Heveron Smith's performances with Moonshine Rhythm Club, Gunsling Birds, The Capitalist Youth, and a yet unreleased track from his upcoming album, Flight Manifest with Einstein's Dreams. I think I've always had like a mindset. Um, I've never been like a reckless rock and roll. Let's just, you know, get loud and everything. I've, I've never had like self-destructive tendencies. I've always been like really, really balanced with my life. Yeah. Uh, oh, when, when I started playing bass, it was about the same time I started doing Tai Chi and Kung Fu. Mm-hmm. And a big part of the reason I wanted to do Tai Chi and Kung Fu is because I realized how many of my bass player friends had gotten tendonitis or carpal tunnel or other issues that made them have to stop playing bass or at least take like six months off. Sure. And I was like, I never want to have that happen. <laughs> Trombone was my first instrument. I uh, started playing trombone in 1993, dabbling in guitar in, in high school, dabbling in a little electric bass. And then in 2008, lived in New York City, played with a vintage jazz band called the Cangelosi Cards. And the bass player, Cassidy, he had two upright basses. And I told him, oh, man, I always wanted to learn upright. I really want to learn. And he's like, well, dude, I'll rent you my extra upright. And I was like, are you serious? So we had uh, the, the very first lesson. I went over to his apartment. He's like, yeah, I'll show you how to play the bass. So here's how you stand with it. Here's how you do your left hand. Here's how you do your right hand. Uh, now, here's how you hold the bow. Now, more importantly, here's how you carry it up and down a flight of stairs without <laughs> without bumping the bass against anything. And here's how you load it into the front seat of a car. <laughs> <laughs> so those are like the vital bass lessons that Cassidy Holden gave me on my very first uh, bass lesson. Wow, that's so good. And so it was around that time that I was getting interested in Kung Fu. And I was like, if I do this, then I can protect myself and make sure my body is strong and make sure I don't give myself tendonitis or shoulder issues or whatever and make sure I'm aware of my tension and all that. And so, yeah, so I I started doing Tai Chi and Kung Fu around the same time I started playing bass. And Mm -hmm. I've never gotten any, uh, any shoulder issues or tendonitis or anything like that. That's such an interesting connection, though, because like... Like learning, <laughs> there's that old joke about like you went to your first bass lesson, you learned the E string, you went to the second bass lesson, you learned the A string, right. and then the third bass lesson was canceled because you had a gig. Yeah, um, exactly. <laughs> but like that, like what you just said about like learning, you have to learn the physicality of the bass because it's such yeah. a, I mean, the instrument is bigger than most adults. Yeah. It's so heavy and it's so fragile. Um, yeah. So like moving it around is like a physicality thing yeah it's interesting that that instrument forces you kind of like drummers it forces you to think about your body and how your body interacts with the instrument versus totally i don't know a guitar player like i I guess you have amps to move around but that's different playing nine gauge strings you can do whatever you want with your hands and it's fine yeah it's so crazy though that in my head 
you've always played upright bass, but that's not true. It's only been <laughs> yeah. it's only been the last fifteen years, but you're such a monster right. at it. <laughs> but I love the idea that like the instrument led you to thinking more about okay, if I'm gonna do this, it's not just about, you know, keeping my you know, calluses, it's about making sure right. my shoulders don't my back doesn't break. Yeah, exactly. That's so interesting. Yeah, I'm glad I had the example and the experience of other people to to give me that warning. Mm. So talk more about that. So somebody else kind of alerted you to the fact and it was such a kind of an immediate, oh, okay, I don't want that because I can see the outcome. Right. There's this disconnect right now where a lot of people are not getting that connection to what's happening to their ears. Right. It's wild, actually. That does link straight back to what I was already talking about with my Aunt Elaine and her guitar player boyfriend and my Uncle Bernie. Mm -hmm. They were all very, very, very aware of hearing health. Because mm. my Aunt Elaine had been going to concerts since the 70s, maybe the 60s. And it's actually really sad now. She has such bad hearing loss mm -hmm. that she cannot go see live music. Mm. And I mean, she was my like number one supporter. Like, you know, my parents are my number one supporter, but my Aunt Elaine was like, you know, really like the music listener, lover, you know, show up to everything. Um, all the concerts, all the different band things, taking me out to shows. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, and so, you know, I, I, I played down in Florida where she lives now uh, on this spring tour I did with Postmodern Jukebox. And she couldn't come to the show because her hearing is so bad and, oh. and so loud noises are just so intense and harsh for her. And, um, you know, it was great to see her in person and, and be able to communicate because... Uh, even when we do Zoom things as a family, she has a really tough time yeah. because, you know, a lot of it is people talking over each other, but her hearing aids just have such a difficult time um, deciphering all the noise. Uh, but, but, you know, even back then, she was aware of hearing loss as a thing. And Steve Green, the guitar player in Rochester who she dated, he, he I think, had had a scare with his hearing that actually did damage his hearing. I think somebody had, like, messed with him and, like, you know, sort of playing a harmless prank where they cranked up a speaker when his head was right next to it and you know blasted him with loud feedback and it really severely damaged his hearing and yeah. so he he had like his own hearing issues like i don't know if you remember but he i think he came to one of our shows but like didn't stay long basically because it was loud you know it was mm -hmm. in java's brian was playing the drums we were amplified you know he he couldn't stay loud he couldn't listen to it i guess i was always around that concept of like you got to protect your hearing um and so when i heard that first little ringing in my ears after the several hour loud concert that was like oh oh this is what they're talking about i got to make sure this doesn't happen because i really want to be able to do this for 50 60 70 years you know and, and does that have anything to do with the choices of the music that you then went to go play oh that's a good question i don't think so well maybe subconsciously i mean i a lot of what i play a lot of what i've chosen to specialize in is acoustic music um, music with acoustic guitars jazz and stuff like that although it's wild it, it can get surprisingly loud oh yeah um because you don't think of it you know um you think like oh loud rock music you know you're blasting distorted mm -hmm. guitar and drummers that are hitting super hard jazz that's not loud but <laughs> then you sit in a 17-piece big band with the lead trumpet literally two feet from my right ear directly yeah. behind me and you know i, I I've been in some situations where I put up my uh, my decibel meter on my phone and they're hitting a hundred something decibels mm -hmm. lead trumpet on the loud sections of Count Basie right behind my head. Completely. Yeah. And, you know, not to mention the drummer in that situation. If I'm if I'm playing second trombone, then I'm like 
potentially right next to the drummer and right in front of the lead trumpet player. That is not a place you want to be. Right. Yeah. Um, You know, so I I think uh, my taste led me to choose jazz and folk Mm -hmm. and acoustic styles of music. Um, But uh, but even there, you got to pay attention. It's a common kind of misconception that like acoustic music equals quieter, but it is more dynamic, which means there's more quiet overall. So it's kind of better for your ears. Your exposure, like dose or whatever. Yeah, over time. Well, and then you also find yourself playing, as you hinted to, uh, basically jazz versions of, well, not jazz versions, but like old, old timey. Vintage style versions of pop songs. Yeah. And then that's a whole big big show with postmodern jukebox yeah do you want to talk about that kind of experience that kind of stage experience a little bit yeah and that is really really an interesting experience and it's very cool so you know after years and years and years of playing little diy concerts with four or five piece swing bands or whatever playing for swing dances little diy tours in a in a minivan or a buick um literally crammed four of us at an upright bass inside a buick but anyway yeah so like going from that to a real bus tour with a monitor engineer, a front of house engineer, a tour manager, a stage manager, like, wow, that's pretty wild. Mm -hmm. And having, you know, three days of rehearsal at the beginning of a tour where we get to dial everything in, having backline where I've got this Aguilar 410 bass amp, you know, and me and the guitar player are sharing a riser and we're sharing Actually, we have two wedges. We each had our own mix. Like, so that's cool. amazing. <laughs> and not only we each had our own mix, but we had like the pretty much the same mix every night and a person who's responsive to us and, and uh, time to sound check, like all the time we want, all the time we need to sound check. Um, so, you know, it, in that respect, it's like such a delight and such a pleasure and makes things so easy. But on the flip side, it's still music. And uh, and having a big stage and like a, you know, thousand, two thousand seat theater that we're playing into means that, you know, there's no chance that it's going to be quiet. And uh, and and with PMJ, it's it's also not just jazz. It's a wide variety of sort of vintage styles. So Mm -hmm. there's some more soul or funk or or rock or whatever. Um, But even the jazz, like. Our, you know, I, I've mostly toured with uh, this one drummer, Dave Tedeschi, amazing, amazing drummer, amazing human being. Um, and he hits hard. I mean, most of the guys that play in that band do, most of the musicians. And, um, you know, and uh, and there's moments where we're like doing sort of a, a take on Queen or something like mm-hmm. that. So, our, you know, our guitar player, um, a, a lot of, I, I toured a lot with a guitar player, Mike Chisnall. Um, and uh and he's a very sensitive musician too um but they're hitting hard you know and they're they're pushing it and you know we got these like rock guitar solos and and uh um and you know so uh by the way for the audience sometimes i play bass with pmj sometimes i play trombone Mm -hmm. um and when i play bass i'm on the riser with the guitar player um to the right of the drums and when i play trombone i'm on the uh, horn riser to the left of the drums um but either way you know i'm on a loud stage and we got drums hitting hard we got to hear all the singers we got to hear ourselves we got to hear the rhythm section on the other side of the Mm -hmm. stage um and that and uh and that show is like i mean it's different from your i'm a band who just goes to it and then sets up and plays my songs like it's a stage show yeah, it's a stage show. So there's show. a different pressure on the people who are on stage that like, yep. I mean, you always have people's eyes on you, but it's different when it's like, this is designed to be a spectacle, right? Yep, totally. And, uh, you know, and I, I can't futz around with, you know, things on stage. I can't be sort of half-assing anything. I, I have to be like really on point and ready to go, um, you know, putting on my show face and, and yeah. um getting into it and, and and not just standing there and and base face blank and neutral but uh base but like face. looking entertaining yeah you know looking entertaining and and getting into it and and you know <laughs> so i have to be able to hear everything 
Um, so very quickly when I, when I started that gig, I realized, oh, wow, okay, like there's a lot of hearing considerations. Mm -hmm. And it was really tricky to figure out my own balance of how much to use earplugs, which earplugs to use if I, if I had to leave earplugs out. And, you know, playing bass with earplugs isn't that bad. Playing trombone with earplugs yeah. is very tricky. Very tricky. Again, measuring the the stage volume on my music stand, you know, at soundcheck, that that would also be hitting in the the high nineties and occasionally the low hundreds. Actually, you know, it, it depends on the song. Some of the songs were written solidly one oh six or whatever. So I realized quickly, like, oh crap, yeah, I definitely need to be wearing earplugs every single night. I gotta make sure my mix is dialed in, but I gotta make sure it's dialed in for me with earplugs. We were the only person do you think on the stage who is monitoring your levels at your stand or do you notice other people doing that now? You know, I, I might've been, I, I don't know if anybody else was ever pulling up their decibel meter. I don't know if anybody else had a decibel meter on their phone. It's a free <laughs> app. Everybody go download it. Um, but, uh, you know, I, it, it, having this conversation with you, I'm like, dang, I need to just go text every single person that I toured with and be like, hey, you need to be wearing earplugs. It's hitting over 100 decibels, not just at the peaks, but like pretty consistently, especially mm -hmm. Dave Tedeschi, especially the drummer, you know, and, and the guitar player, too. I think Mike, uh, the guitar player, I think he's been doing earplugs, but I, I think I, I was a positive influence in that, too. Um well, I think there's Wait. some nuance to that that that's necessary because nobody wants tell to me, be, Tell me the nuance. Well, so nobody wants to be told like, hey, you got to wear earplugs. It's a lot like, uh -huh. it's like hanging out on a, on a dock in the summertime with your friends and then somebody coming by and being like, hey, you really should be wearing a life preserver. <laughs> right, like, right. No, I think I'm fine. <laughs> but like, yes, yeah. there's a risk, but is there a trade-off for the experience and for the show? Especially when you're doing something that's for a show, you're the thing that people's watching and yeah. your performance needs to be 110%. Right. It can't be 99%. You can't be watering it down any night. Yeah, yeah. And so a lot of people see like, well, if I'm going to put earplugs in, I'm going to, I'm going to take a compromise. Yeah. And it kind of is, unless you practice with them and it's a compromise. Right. Yeah. So if I, if I w or you or anybody is just like, Hey, it's 105. Wear earplugs. The answer could be, no thanks. I'm good. Uh -huh. Versus, I like what you said before that, which was, I like to monitor my levels on stage. And then <laughs> I get to make a choice that night yeah, of, yeah. is this song somewhere where I need earplugs for? Or is this one something that I could do without? I think that's a better approach. get used to mm. mentally used to a show is this loud yeah and then i come along and i give you 15 decibel earplugs now the yeah. show is less than it was before yeah and it's different and that uh -huh. difference isn't necessarily good or bad but your body's gonna your brain is gonna hear that difference and be like this isn't the same slash worse right until you get used to that but once you get used to listening to a stage volume at 85 decibels or 80 decibels. <laughs> yeah. Taking those earplugs out is like getting hit in the face with a baseball bat. It just feels like... Right, yeah, yeah. Oh, how are we all handling this? Right, yeah, that, right. it does. Yes. Yeah. So my thinking behind earplugs in or out is really song dependent. Just okay. like you're thinking about like when you're playing bass, do I use this pedal for this song or not, yeah. it's song dependent. You know what I mean? So yeah, it's that kind good. of thought process. But knowing the levels and knowing where it starts with, I think is a nice way to talk with people instead of like, yeah. uh, you must protect yourself is, hey, do you know if you need protection? Mm -hmm. I don't know. That's good. I appreciate that. This is good to hear because I, I am so worried about a lot of my friends, especially my drummer friends. And, you know, there's this one guy in particular. He's young. Um, his dad's an awesome bass player. Uh, he, he's probably 19 years old, the drummer. And uh, 
And I just watch him and I'm like, damn, dude, like you are at the beginning of your career. Mm -hmm. You need to be protecting your stuff from your own volume. Yeah. <laughs> you need to be protecting yourself from yourself because like, I want to see this guy, like I want to see him succeed and go places and not have to suffer from it, you know? Yeah. And I told him one time, like, dude, you should be, you should really be wearing earplugs. Like, d I don't know if you know how loud you're hitting. And he's mm -hmm. like, ah, you know, whatever. And, uh, and I'm like, man, you know, I gotta talk to his dad, see if his dad can talk some sense <laughs> into him or something. But yeah, I don't know. I, it, it's hard. It's hard to figure out like what people are gonna hear and be responsive to. In your opinion, how much of that is not knowing the risk, which we could call just like, you know, innocent ignorance of the risk, yeah. right? Yeah. So not knowing the risk, or how much of that is it feels good to play drums loud <laughs> and don't take that away from me. Right. Well, I, I'm sure it's like a whole mishmash of, of all the different human things. I mean, humans are so good at self-deception. Like, mm -hmm. I think we don't really want to know and understand the risk. Right. We don't really want to have to face these risks because, you know, partly we don't believe they're going to happen to us. Partly we don't believe it because we don't want to believe that it's going to happen to us, you know. And, and so I'm sure like a lot of these musicians are just like, yeah, 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 I, I totally should think about that. Or... I'll think about that later. Or if I ever notice something starting to happen with my hearing, I'll, I'll take, you know, I'll take care of it then. Or just like, uh, uh, um, maybe that's going to be too expensive or earplugs sound like crap or, um, uh, uh, like I don't want to have to think about that right now. Yeah. You know? Well, and, it is, uh, it is being told to think about something that's not fun. Right. Yeah, totally. Right. It's like somebody, if somebody came along and like said, Hey, what's your favorite, you know, snack? And you're like, Oh, I love chocolate. And they're like, Did you know that chocolate? And you're like, Stop it. Like, <laughs> stop it. Man. Don't take it. I'm going to die me. anyway someday. Like, <laughs> let me have my chocolate. Yeah. If I die eating chocolate, that's not the worst way to go out. Right. It's not the worst way to go. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. You know, I'm sure that that's a very, very deep idea like if i go deaf playing my favorite music at least i went down swinging There's such a difference in quality of earplugs. And yeah. I remember, I, I, I've seen this continuity because I remember, you know, in middle school and high school getting the crappy, you know, $5 foam ones mm -hmm. that like, they're awkward to like squish them and then let them inflate in your ears. And then they don't sound good. They sound super muffled. Mm -hmm. And then I remember you gave me my first set of like decent earplugs and I still have them. They're the ones with like the three ring oh, whatever yeah. on the string in the little plastic case. I still have those. And I, I, uh, I usually keep them in a bag. Um, so if I don't have my nice ear molds, then I use those ones. And those were such mm -hmm. a ridiculous improvement over the crappy foam ones. So when that, you know, when I got those, like that was a big deal. That was a big step up in like, Oh, I can, protect my hearing and it doesn't have to sound like butt and then you, you finally did my ear molds and i had those and it was like oh wow this is even better this is amazing so that's how you're handling it now uh with the big stages and uh, with postmodern jukebox and other groups how are you handling your ears and earplugs monitors uh with your own music with with your solo stuff now i mean i haven't done too many gigs of my own music so it's, it's mostly been at uh, the little cafe in rochester and then like a handful of solo shows here and there mm -hmm. it's interesting because you know it's kind of back to i'm bringing everything i'm bringing the sound system i'm setting it all up this is diy and it's and it is low low volume you know sometimes we we get into it a little bit you know, towards the end of a jam or something mm -hmm. like that. But it'll be fun and interesting to to see how, like, it, it's almost starting from scratch to see how I grow this band from the beginning and, and you know, growing mm -hmm. an audience from very small venues on up. 
um, through larger and larger venues. And knowing what I know and having the experience that I have, um, I think, well, for one thing, I'll, I'll be able to get a lot more um, interesting and clear and beautiful sounds off the stage for the audience. Mm. And, uh, you know, and part of that is being aware of stage volume and part of that is being aware of acoustics and how to position a band so that we can all hear each other with minimal monitoring and stuff like that. I would be interested to get to the point where I am having to use in-ears because mm -hmm. none of the bands that I play in, you know, PMJ, we still use monitors, uh, wedges, and uh, I do a lot of wedding gigs and some of the people on these wedding gigs are starting to use in-ears. And it's interesting because if you have certain digital mixers now, you can bring your own in-ears and your own either wireless pack or wired pack and you can connect your phone to yeah. the digital mixer and use it as your own personal mixer which is fantastic so it's like on these wedding gigs i'm starting to see people bring their own in-ears and that's been great. a big change yeah. but you're right like this is uh, the technology now is making it so much more conducive because people like you who play in a dozen different settings yeah switching to in-ears would be really tough yeah right because everything is different yeah it's different every single time and then i have a lot of trombone players who say that in-ears are tough it is yeah playing playing brass with in-ears is very very tough um i think it does require a really strong uh monitor engineer mm -hmm. um and that's the thing like I, you know, I've never really played with in-ears. There was only one PMJ show. We were playing at Disney World. We were playing at Epcot Center. Oh, cool. And, and Epcot was like, hey, we don't do wedges. Everybody's on in-ears. Here's a bunch of shures. Um, here you go. And, uh, you know, and we also had less sound check there because it was the park. It was open, you know, so it's not like we can spend, you know, two and a half hours dialing in our mix. It's, it's hard to... Uh, it's hard to make sure that you have a good mix and you can hear yourself. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of this the studio question. You know, even when you're in a studio tracking something subtle like trombone or upright bass, you need to be able to hear your own intonation. You need to be able to hear your own sound. And there's only so much that you can do with that with all this sound coming at you through your headphones. Mm -hmm. You need to have a very good mix. And even if you do have a very good mix, half the time when I'm playing upright bass or trombone in the studio, I've got one ear off. I'm listening to the space in the room. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So, you know, the idea of using in-ears on, you know, all or most stage situations would be very, very tricky. When you're in a variety of settings, it really, it's, it's resource intensive. Yeah. You know, at both time and also just monetarily. Uh -huh. Um, it's yeah. resource intensive. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Monetary, I mean, buying in-ears, like I've got my molds, but like how much am I going to have to spend to get decent in-ears? And, I'm still not using them in most situations. So yeah. in, in most situations, they're not going to be necessary. And the, the so. actual molds, the actual monitors themselves, it's it's a quarter, a third of the cost that you're dealing with. Then all, on top of that, you need like the wireless pack, you need the wireless right. transmitter, you need yeah. the time to invest into that, you need the digital mixer. Right. Um, so it, it's not for everybody. It certainly isn't. Mm -hmm. What I hear from a lot of people who finally like, yeah. um, they say like, oh, I guess I never heard on stage before. <laughs> like, I guess I was yeah. always listening to the wash of the PA and thinking that that right. was my monitor mix. And now I can actually hear everything. And I, and then I often hear a lot of people say like, oh boy, we really have to rehearse more because <laughs> I can hear what we're missing. Yeah, well, when I was doing a lot of studio engineering, that was one of the funny things was hearing bands come in and being like wait that's what you're playing <laughs> having no idea what each other's parts were <laughs> yeah oh boy we sound totally. like garbage <laughs> <laughs> you're playing that that doesn't work with my line <laughs> and i think that's that gets back to kind of the thought process shift that has to happen when a band goes to in-ears a lot of people think of i have my live setup and then i have my studio setup and I have a different experience playing music at those two settings. Yeah. And in truth, a good inner mix is the same experience as playing in the studio, except that there's an audience there. Right. So you have that quality of like, I can hear every nuance of everything and I can react to it in real time, but people are watching. So that's the ideal inner mix. 
versus Man. that would never happen with wedge monitors. I mean, that sounds fantastic. I've never experienced that. And I, you know, now I'm reflecting back on all the different live shows I've done and just like, especially when you have a band of 11 people or whatever, yeah. like, you know, four singers, full band, horn section, everything like, uh, you know, all the different needs that are going back and forth on that stage. And the singers are kind of prime need. Like they, mm -hmm. they need to hear themselves. They need to hear themselves clearly. And their intonation needs to be spot on because they are like the highlight of the show. Yeah. You know, the singers have such a difficult job and, and, uh, it's funny because every once in a while on the PMJ show, you know, the, the horns or the rhythm section, we come up to the front of the stage and now we're hearing what they're hearing. And it's like, what the, what are you listening to up here? This is bonkers. <laughs> like, this is so loud and I can't hear that. And like, wow, what is your mix? This is crazy. Yeah. And I mean, I, I can imagine like the, the in-ear, if we had a solid in-ear situation, especially with like a couple of ambient mics or something to pick up, you know, things that aren't mm -hmm. right on mic. Cause there's a lot of uh, sort of off mic playing around in the PMJ show, you know, it's still, sure. it still is rooted in an acoustic jazz thing, but then you wouldn't have to be like, I'm at the front of the stage now and I'm eyeing the monitor engineer and be like, Hey, I can't hear the bass. I yeah. need to hear the bass. Otherwise I cannot play this song. Yeah. You, you just have your mix and you wouldn't have to, you know, the, the singers could be able to hear themselves clearly and get their own mix and everybody else in the band would be able to hear what they need to hear without having mm -hmm. to just pander to the singers. Mm -hmm. Um, and that freedom of movement is a big thing too. Yeah, it sounds great. Move around on stage and have the same mix. Yeah, right, right. And if you can get rid of all the wedge monitors, the yeah. only sound that the audience is hearing is the PA. Yeah. Is the mix or, of... And, and or the amps and live drums. Yeah. Any actual wash off the stage. But yeah. when you have wedge monitors on stage, yeah. the audience is hearing both the, the front of house mix mm -hmm. and the band, plus yeah. a half dozen <laughs> to a dozen speakers out of phase yeah. facing right. the wrong direction with various bouncing mixes, off a concrete wall <laughs> just random mixes yeah. and so if you're right in front you're hearing a different experience than somebody in the back and so the front of house has to turn up the whole pa to cover that to up. cover up the, the stage if you're on wedges yeah yeah if you're on in-ears the middle of the stage is the quietest space in the whole house right because yeah. all you hear is the drums and maybe a couple amps. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, that's nuts. And, you know, it's interesting because, again, I, I play in a gazillion different settings. So I feel like that would work for certain things and certain things it wouldn't work for. And there's a lot of things that are sort of somewhere in the middle. Um, but I guess, like, even with the smaller stage situations, the smaller bands that I've played with, I've I've always, like, wanted and strive for as much of an acoustic experience on the stage as possible yeah. and you know if i'm playing even in like sort of an indie rock americana folk type of band that's possible to a certain extent mm -hmm. if you're able to like if, if you have people that have the right mindset yeah. and also haven't damaged their own hearing yeah well, um, and also thing. you know sensitive listeners and yeah right um but but it's such a it can be such a pleasant experience if you're able to do that, if you're able to keep mm -hmm. the volume down. You know, I know some guitar players are like, oh, i got to crank the amp to get my tone. But a lot of the people I'm playing with aren't doing that. A lot of the people I'm playing with are jazz guitar players um, who are used to playing with very, very quiet amplification. You know, and, and this is really dependent on a couple things. Number one, the band and the musicians, like what they're, what they're willing to do um, as far as listening to each other, keeping stage volumes down, um, what you're able to do in terms of where you position yourself on stage, um, and then the space you're playing in makes a huge difference. Yeah. 
music, performing or recording, it's all about putting together a convincing illusion uh. for the audience. Um, and and you know even a convincing illusion for yourself because you know if you're if you're performing you need the right illusion to to allow you to hear everything and and rock out the way that you want to rock out. I like that. Um, yeah, totally. But I, I think that's one of the things that like that I would like for for people to understand if they want to understand more about music and what it is to be a musician is like everything is an illusion and if you can put together a convincing illusion. That's my favorite thing. I mean, some of my favorite recordings are ones that were very obviously overdubbed or tracked in isolation, but they sound like they were all in the same space. Mm -hmm. And I love that. That's, That's my really favorite point. thing. I mean, that that goes back to like the whole Stevie Wonder's probably not the first person to do this. It sounds like a band's playing. Oh, it's just one guy. <laughs> it's just Stevie Wonder, yeah. It's just one guy dubbing over on top of himself. Yeah, and as long as you're doing it tight and you've got the 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 blend in mind mm -hmm. you know like how am i going to blend these things all together to create that convincing illusion then you can That's pull it cool. off it's all a yeah. magic trick it's all a, it's magic, a magic trick, trick. music you know? is magic and and to be the audience and to enjoy it it's okay to recognize that it's a magic trick it's almost better uh -huh. that way because then you appreciate right. the effort that went into it yeah. if you believe it's actually magic less interesting i think right yeah yeah totally consider or do you ever think about music and sound as a healing force and not just as a because you know the way that I often talk about sound or have to talk about sound with people who are getting injured by it is mm. as a danger force right like protecting yourself from the injury of sound right wow, yeah. but I personally see sound as the most positive healing force also yeah totally man I could go deep on this i'm gonna go deep on this so i i've never thought about the uh about what you just said about the contrast between sound as a potentially harmful injuring force versus sound as a healing force but i've always like music has always been a huge part of my emotional landscape you know and in late high school into college when i was uh you know spent a lot of time being single and depressed like li <laughs> listening to things like elliot smith and radiohead and like really you know red house painters like super mopey music yeah, was definitely like, the best way to get yourself out of depression elliot smith yeah i mean that's the thing my friend <laughs> my roommate in college used to be like why do you listen to such depressing music all the time and and it was interesting because i didn't think of it as depressing music i was like i I guess you're right. I can see why you think that. <laughs> but like, to me, it's really, it's, it's like meeting me where I'm at, mm -hmm. you know, and giving voice to my emotions and helping me work through them so that I'm not just like numb and dead to them. That's always, 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 always how I felt. And it's interesting because uh, when I was a lonely, single, miserable person, I listened to a lot of lonely, single, miserable music. Um, and then I met my wife, Holly, and we got married. And I'm not saying life has been peachy keen because, damn, we've been through some stuff. But I will say I'm no longer lonely in the way that I was. And my listening choices have changed accordingly. Gradually, organically over the years, I don't really listen to mopey acoustic guitar music anymore. Mm -hmm. And and so I, do, I listen to a lot more, I guess, of what I would consider happy music. I listen to a lot more funk and soul and Latin music. And sometimes it is like you got to do the reverse of what you're feeling. Sometimes it's like, all right, I got I to gotta get out of this mood. So I need to listen to something upbeat. You know, yeah. music is that music. Uh, it, it meets you where you're at and it can also help you change where you're at. And nowadays, a lot of what I feel when I write music is the, the social issues, the things that I see in the world um, that are really important to me. Waking skies at sunrise Every sunset too Seems to be 
of my favorite things as a musician is the diversity of things that I get to play and listen to. Like I'm a jazz musician. That's that's kind of who I am at my heart and at my core. But I think also part of being a jazz musician to me is uh, playing variety. And so I love playing pop gigs and I love playing funk and soul. And the past year, I've the past two years, I've spent a lot of time trying to improve my my funk and soul chops and my gospel based chops. I'm working on uh, uh, this indie folk singer songwriter jazz soul inflected um, uh, concept album about flight. Feel the chill in the air Frost at night, food is scarce Singing our long goodbyes Settle our last affairs Till we spread our wings Take to the sky I still feel very strongly about using my music to to change the world. And I, I think a lot of what that looks like these days is like when I play a concert of my original music, I'm talking about what inspired this stuff. And so I'm talking about environmental issues. I'm talking about extinction of animals and how tremendously sad and devastating that is to me. Uh, injustice, racial injustice, sexism, homophobia, all these different things and how they're intersectional. And I'm trying to write more and more music that like reflects that, you know, the emotional healing, the emotional touch of music is really, really vital, super important. But then, you know, you also can't, dwell in just the um, uh, the floaty emotional side of things without actually doing something with it. We will spread our wings Take to the sky One of my favorite things about music is, is like all the different ways that it can encourage and inspire people to, to think about the different ways that the world could be. So as musicians, we have this opportunity and responsibility to be like, all right, let's let's set our own vision, our own dream for what we want the world to be. And all the birds that are Last question, and it's the important one. What's your favorite sound? <laughs> oh. uh, the ambient noise of nature. Okay, say more about that. Why is that your favorite sound? Oh man, I mean like, honestly, if I lost my hearing, I would still have nature and I would be okay. I could still go out and hike and be out in nature. And you know, nature is even more important to me as a human being than um, than music. And so the sounds of nature are, you know, since I still have my hearing, um, are, are so powerful and important to me. Um, I, yeah, I can, I can leave a concert and, uh, and go out and my ears will, will clear and, and I'll hear birds and I'll hear wind in the trees and I'll be like, Whoa, yeah, mm -hmm. there it is. Or I can, you know, go up to the Adirondacks and, and, um, go hiking in the mountains and just hear all the sounds and the, the reverberance of the forest as mm -hmm. birds sing through it and, you know, squirrels hopping down into the crunchy leaves and my own sound, my own feet crunching in the leaves. And um, I just love the sounds of, of nature.
last question is just a two-word question of why loud? Hmm. Why loud? Open-ended. Okay. Um, it's interesting. So my first thought is like, why do people want to play loud? And I think it's to to feel the immersive mm-hmm. immersiveness of the sound. And 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 so to me, that's like what I want out of my musical experience. And it doesn't necessarily have to be loud, but I want it to be immersive. You know, I want, um, when I'm playing, I want to be surrounded with sound. I want to be in the sound. I want to be part of the sound. I want the audience to be surrounded by the sound, swirling around. And I, this is something I really, really want to do is start doing concerts in beautiful acoustic spaces where the the band and the audience can kind of be intermingled and interspersed mm-hmm. and we can surround the audience with our sound we can immerse them in our sound that's what i want to do you know and and i think that's something i'd like to do entirely acoustic because there is something that's magical that's different from when you have a microphone and a speaker in between you and whoever's listening um it's very different from being in the room with the waves coming off of your instrument much less the blend of instruments you know like when you have a chamber group a string quartet or a brass quintet that blends um and they lock in to uh to like that resonance and you know it when you feel it you kind of can't capture that with microphones and you kind of can't reproduce that on speakers or headphones live or, or in the studio. There's, there's something that you feel in the physicality of the air. It's not just like a, a certain set of frequencies that can be captured and reproduced. It's, it's like when it's around you in the air and in the building and in the floor and in your body and in your bones and the wood and the strings and the brass and everything, like, that's a feeling Mm -hmm. that that is unique to acoustic music Mm. um and that's something that i really really want to give more people the experience of and of course i want to capture it you know record it videotape it and, (laughs) and and share it as well but but sort of recognizing that like we said what you're reproducing when you watch a youtube video of that it's an illusion and we'll right. do the best job we can with that illusion. We'll capture it as well as we can and mix it as well as we can to give you the the closest illusion we can. But there's something about being in person, not just with live music, but with acoustic music that I think is really magical and special. I Voices, you know, whatever. Yeah, I so I, that, that, that's what I want to do is I want to immerse people. It doesn't have to be loud, but I get why, you know, people feel the need to be in loudness because they want that immersive experience and loud in that sense because like i hinted to there's so many different definitions right because loud can be like oh look at that loud outfit right Right. it's an outfit that you can't ignore it's loud but in your sense loud is physicality loud is the feeling of like i can feel the air on me and it's also like sensory, uh, uh, like not overload, but like overtaking. Mm-hmm. You know, um, yeah. I, I think immersiveness is just the be- the best word I can come That's up great. with for that. That's yeah. a really good answer. Totally. Now, Eric, I, I've known you for what feels like forever. So I've been a you've been a constant in my life, a constant friend, a constant bandmate through so many projects. Yeah. And through that, I have been a constant fan. I want to help other people, though, find your music as much as possible. Where would they be able to find your new projects, your new bands, uh, the things that you've been playing on? Essentially, is there anything you want to plug at this point? Yeah, um, I'm nowhere near a release date for my album. But if people want to follow me on Instagram, at Smith, E-H-E-V-E-R-O-N Smith, or at Einstein's Dreams Music. That's where I'll be posting a lot of my stuff. So my band is called Einstein's Dreams. I've also got a band in Rochester called the Swordfish Trio, which is more of I was a... I hoping you would mention that. Oh, yeah, which is more a uh, uh, bluesy, jam, jazz, soul, rock kind of thing. It's, it's a power trio. It's a, it's a vehicle for me to get to play electric bass and noodle around on it you know, without, uh, getting fired from a gig. (laughs) Um, and, uh, other than that, I, yeah, I'm building electric bases. What's that company called? Leopard Bass. He makes amazing custom electric bases and I do 
uh, a bunch of random tasks on these bases, a lot of sanding, some finish work, you know, some carving and basic woodworking things, beautiful, beautiful custom bass guitars. We're building a seven string bass with a whammy bar. Uh, that's a custom commission what? for for a local bass player. <laughs> Is the neck just going to be an I-beam? Yeah, like, <laughs> well, we, we yeah, we've got carbon fiber uh, inserts in there, and uh, and it, it connects at like the twelfth fret. It, hopefully, it'll be strong enough to to handle all that beef, you know, you know. So we can we can build out, we can build anything. That's amazing. Short yeah. scale, long scale, I no love scale. That no scale, <laughs> fish scale. Fish uh, scale. <laughs> Eric, I've been so looking forward to this. I mean, honestly, when I started this this project, when I started the idea of talking to music makers about their ears, you were like top on my list of people that I needed to talk to. And I, I've been looking forward to this so much. That's great. I love it. So thank you. Thank you for your time with us. This is awesome. Yeah. Thank you, Frank. Talking Ears is a production of Earmark Hearing Conservation. We'd love to hear your thoughts about this episode and hearing wellness in general. The theme music is by Scott Hallam. You can find more of his music at audiodowsing.com. Additional production and editing assistance is by Juan Vasquez and Mary Kim. Thanks for listening. <laughs>